Greetings, this is Road Warrior Otwell with a, well, it's one of those mess, one of those uh, podcasts I haven't recorded in a long time. I'm going to go back and refer to some email. Um, I've also changed the setup a little bit of my audio recording to see how this will play out now. I've hooked up a microphone and uh, we're going to go with a real mic this time in my podcast recorder, which is a uh, Olympus WS-311M. Uh, so, anyways, going back to the mailbox. About a month ago, I got an email from Tristan Peisch. I guess that's how you pronounce it. I, P-I-E-T-S-C-H. Not the last time I've heard before or seen before. But it was a good email. Um, it, and it's probably time that I address this sort of topic. Since I've spent the last two months either working massive amounts of overtime in preparation of a deadline or in working on trying to get the decks for the Grand Prix trial and PDQs up and operational, working with my team, doing quite a bit of playtesting when I wasn't at work. And in the end, at the PDQ, I ran an Elementals deck that, that Bob Bradford actually designed first time I walked into a qualifier where I did not make any decisions on the 75 cards being played. There was four of us playing the exact copy of that deck. Me and Paul respectively got 11th and 13th at that event. Unfortunately, the weather was really overly hot. People knew about the problems with the weather, so we didn't get quite the turnout as I was hoping for. That and the overabundance popularity of fairies, which at the same time, I think, inadvertently impacted the turnout negatively to some extent. Probably about 10% of the people didn't because they just gave up on the fact that they couldn't beat Street Mall with anything else they would put together themselves. However, at the same time, a couple of people came out of the woodwork that I've not seen in forever, i.e. Battle Kitten or Lauren Passmore and uh, Joel Barnes, Josh Knapper, many, many of the old names. So that kind of got me off. You know, that kind of surprised me to some extent because I figured, you know, this is not exactly the most enticing format, but the reason they're coming out is because of the, because of the upcoming Grand Prix Denver. They just want to get back into Magic a little bit so they could, you know, feel belong and be part of the big crowd and the probably the big gathering we're going to have, the big social event. I'll go ahead and read Tristan's email. My personal thoughts and experiences from it, particularly on decks that didn't make it. Ten Commandments, Don't Cut It, Struggles Against White Sweeney and Other Rush decks. This deck is similar to Quick and Toast for the same reasons. Doran, a bit clunky without Germanic cells. Elves, couldn't beat Kitkin. Fairies, without the Ancestral Recall, resolves I win move. The decks either went double-click, win or lose, had a poor matchup against metagame, blah, blah, blah. And in Australia where he plays, he's from Adelaide, Australia. And he said they just had their PTQ Berlin, and with their block season, and the information they had is they had a top eight that consisted of three Kiskin decks, two model black control, and three elementals. Seventy percent of the decks in the field probably ran ran, uh, Bitter Blossoms in there, and he, apparently him and a couple of his friends all ran model black control. Their deck consisted of... Four Thoughtseize, four Bitter Blossoms, four Murderous Redcaps, three Corrupts, three Mannequins, four Nameless Inversion, four Shriek Maws, four Profanes, four Dusk Urchins, and one Liliana Vest, four Meadwalls, 20 Swamps, 
Their sideboard was three puppeteers, three memory plunders, four worn wordings, three eyebites endings, and two final reveals. That's the deck. That's the deck list that he ran, and it was similar to other ones, except they the other some of his friends ran Demigod of Revenge, and some ran Fulminator Mage. Well, it seems like a good deck. It seems like a black control based deck. However, this was the early block season where you were expecting to see Kiskin all the time with minimal fairies. I don't think that deck can actually beat a permission based deck. You might get lucky be able to thought season or bit of blossoms, but in the end, once you do, you run out of threats against their deck. And if they ever make their stuff untargetable, it becomes virtually impossible for you to kill any of their stuff because you don't have a board sweeper like like Damnation. Now the problem with this deck is that it's not that it's a bad idea. I like the idea. It could work out all right. But I think the format just... The problem with the fairies has become so good that it's kind of squeezed innovation out of this format. And the only way to beat fairies is you go directly at them as fast as you can, either with burn, fast green creatures, or elementals that get, get uh, cast and uh, bumped by a uh, smoke breaker quickly. And or it has to be instant effects where you, you know, instant base shenanigans, be it Cloud Thresher and or uh, Mannequin that can pull that off. And when you play a deck that's basically all sorcery, your your only options are all in front of you. And the, the way you beat fairies is making them play cards on their own turn, not on your turn. That deck is all about having tempo. It's all about having, I'm going to dump my threats out on your turn because you didn't do anything to make me want to have to waste a mana on my turn. And if you do do something I care about, then I'm going to respond to that and make it not not be the case, not be able to effectively work. Now, now there's ways around that, and that's why elementals works really well because you can sucker people into for like, for instance, you can say, "Here's a smoke breaker. I'm going to show you a, the cloud thresher, which you're going to hate to have and know you're going to have to kill. So you're going to have to make you have to wait to do stuff on your turn with the cloud thresher." in order to sucker in the spell that I really care about, be it Horde of Notions, be it uh, any other kind of major deck. Same thing goes with Quick and Toast. If you can sucker the, them to countering the, the Cloud of Threshers on their turn, you can then pos, pop out an austerity command to smash them. Now, now, his assessment that... Let's go back to what he originally said up here early on. His opinions was the Ten Commandments decks don't cut it. Well, in that case, he's actually wrong. The, or at least I think he's wrong. The, the fact is, the Ten Commandments decks have a horrible time trying to beat fairies because half of it's, it doesn't put any tempo, it doesn't put any pressure on early game. So fairies has full reign of getting all the pressure at once early game. And it has more permission than the Quick and Toast or Command Control decks do. Now the thing is, is the Command Control could bust out the board sweepers and keep things in check and eventually run you over by sheer card advantage. Now, the good versions, in my opinion, were running uh, three to four austerity commands and four fire spouts in order to beat up on the white weenie decks. And in the end, white weenie decks, unless they had a perfect draw, the I win draw, had a lot of difficulty beating a deck with with effectively eight board sweepers in it main. And, and, uh, it also had to run kitchen drinks in order to clog the board up some so that it buys time and buys life. And you want to do that anyways. The black control decks, however, lose or don't have a board sweeping effect. So 
the kiss index will just dump out dudes as fast as it possibly can crank them out. And your sorcery speed removal isn't going to be good enough, but more than for, for one for ones. And unless you can get a, a second turn bitter blossom out there producing tokens for you, keeping you alive, you're going to be run over by, by superior speed. <clears throat> now, the elves decks, or the elf warrior decks, or the shaman decks, now they come out with the intention of going all out aggro against you with the intention of just running you over, smashing your face. Those work. They can work very good. There's been a few people, especially from Team Unknown Stars, who have uh, piloted a Shaman's deck to some top eights and top nines so far this season. However, and their, and their Shaman's deck is generally based on the one that, that uh, Chapin put out like a month ago. Uh, something like that. Maybe more now. However, in the end, you know, it, it's just another option of a fast aggro deck with some burn in it or some additional effects that are kind of cool. Now, Doran puts a decent clock on mid-sized creatures, puts a decent amount of control in the way of discard and creature removal, and can, with Cloud Threshers and big stuff for cheap, i.e. Doran himself, put enough pressure on a uh, fairies deck that it could get it behind the eight ball. Now, that was that was the whole point of you know, coming out with fast, cheap stuff is if you want to beat fairies, you have to put them behind the eight ball. You have to come out faster than him. You've got to put him on the clock. You've got to make him cast turn spells on his own turn. You want him to have to waste his cryptics defensively, not proactively. Now, that's where I ended up having to, for several Grand Prix trials and whatnot, and if I would have been able to make it to all the GPTs and to all the PTQs I was going to originally play in, prior to this past two weeks, I would have been running my command control deck. It was tweaked out with a lot of testing to be as good and as effective as physically possible. <clears throat> I think command is still a very valid concept in this deck. Problem is, is it does a very bad matchup against fairies because it's basically a huge amount of sorcery type spells and a lot of powerful big spells that don't win when your opponent's able to stop you with permission and have threats on the board. So it's a little bit, matchup-wise, is bad for fairies, but every other deck out there you can be sm- can basically will cripple, get crippled by a toast deck or a, a command deck. Now, his contention that fairies doesn't have the eye win move, well, it's still doing arguably the two best plays in block for first turn, second turn, which is Thought Seize, Better Blossom. If you ran a fairies deck, don't leave home with four main deck thought seizes. Don't forget and don't don't leave home without main deck creature removal. I swear you up and down that Gavin's Varhey's deck list, the way he won the PTQ with in, in Vancouver, is damn near as perfect of a main deck for fairies as you will find. You may not agree with twenty six lion, you don't have to. The point of the 26 land in his deck partially was so when he runs in the mirror, he doesn't lose from missing his early land drops and is the first person to resolve misblind clicks. Because usually that puts the other person on major defense. If you can resolve your misblind clicks first, you also don't. You also rarely will miss out on the first turn thought seizes when you get them. It helps you in that area. It helps you with having the ability to 
take advantage of of hitting your curb better than your opponent can because whoever stumbles in the air match is usually the one who ends up losing or who does not draw bitter blossoms early. Sometimes that's also the case. Now, if you want to find Gavin's deck list, you can either look on Watsy's website or on deckcheck.net. You will find the one from Vancouver PTQ. I tell you right now that that is as good as a fairy's deck list as you will find. Now, if you want to take out a land, take out a land, go back to 25 land. If you do, the card you put in there is Pepper Smoke. You do not go back to putting Broken Ambitions in there. That card is not very good in block because it's too slow. And it's only good against decks like Command. It's bad against the Kiskin decks. It's bad against the... Uh, well, it's mediocre against Doran decks. It's bad against Kissing decks. And it's it's decent. It's pretty good against against the command decks, but in the end, it's the elemental deck though that it becomes an irrelevant spell basically that you're concerned with. Because really, other than the mirror match, your worst spell or worst matchup in this in the format with with fairies is probably elementals now because of the ability to make you have to play quickly and the sorcery speed with its threats that it can bump out it bigger than normal because the smoke breeder bumps. Because of the uh, mana that produced by Smoke Raider. Now, I, I appreciate the attempt at making the mono black control. I thought it seemed like an interesting idea. But there's not enough creatures in your deck for mana to matter. There's not, enough cre- there's not enough things in there that puts pressure on anybody. And attacking stuff at sorcery speed in response does not cut it as far as able to beat things. Now... Now, and granted, you guys had good results because you had four decks, of these, four copies of this deck, more or less, in your top 12 at that PTQ. But I just, I don't see it. It's not something that can be proven long term. And now that we've gotten several months worth of fairies winning behind us, and they're putting top eights together at a rate of between four and seven decks per top eight now for the past six weeks. And pretty much shaking all at like a small handful number of the envelopes. You just <sighs> Mono Black does not have the tools capable of beating Kifkin. I mean beating uh, fairies in the end. And really, it, you you may be able to, to beat Kifkin. You may not. You may get run over by Kifkin. You probably you might beat elves. You may not get necessarily get run over by elves. But in the end, there's just this deck just does not match up well with with uh, the Flash. Which makes me wonder: Is Flash too good of a too good of a keyword to use in Mass? Because this is the first deck type that we've had in Magic that it was actually used in a massive number in a in a in a large volume number of creatures. We've never had this many Flash spells before. We've definitely never had them in one deck before, and it makes me think that maybe the mechanic of casting the creatures on your opponent's turn, theoretically itself, is far more. It's far more powerful than Watsi has ever given it credit for before because we never had the results to prove that it could be too good. And, well, while I'm one of those people who wish we would have banned something out of the fairy's deck, preferably the Mistpoint Click because really that's the... With this card, I win almost all the time and it shuts down the ability of other decks to compete. That's still all it is is just a a Flash creature. It's just a 4-4-4. Four, four, four. It's not that great outside of that deck. 
it's not a, not a card that you can throw it into any deck and make it be, make abuse of it. So really, there's nothing in this deck that we can ban to bring the fairies back down to power level. It just runs at two two plus turns faster than every other possible deck in this format right now. And those who believe that Merfolk is quote a bad matchup for for fairies, stop kidding you. We have results now. It's roughly around a 65%, 35% matchup game one in the favor of the fairies player. You can improve it game two. And there's some decent decks out there that do a decent job of sideboarding against it. However, in the end, the worst matchup Furries has is, in fact, the Mirror. This is probably going to go down as the most dominant season by any one deck in block-constructed history. Yes, Affinity, you'll be taking a back seat soon. Now, with all things being considered, I don't want to make it sound like I'm hating on Tristan. He did give me a nice email. I really appreciated his email. We did look at the deck list some, and it's good for a rough sketch, but by now you probably learned that, I would think, that Fairies just doesn't handle very well. But I still appreciate the email. You know, I always like to have email. Um, if you have any questions about any particular topic or about any particular format or any particular deck, feel free to send it to me, and I will eventually get around to responding to it. Albeit, in this case, it was about a month ago he sent me this email, so, but I did keep my inbox this whole time. Um, I'm now to the point where I can start catching up to this sort of stuff. Which brings me to the second email I got that I'm going to respond to. Thank you, uh, Tristan. My second email of the day from Chris Arena. He says, Chris, first of all, let me say I really enjoy your podcast and feel that you always have well-thought-out opinions and aren't afraid to say how you feel without sugarcoating it, which is good. I was listening to the latest Magic School Bus that you helped co-host, and you made a lot of good points about the changes going in, in on Wasi and how they may affect the game stores. Well, I just happen to be thinking about starting a new gaming store in my local area, Durham, Chapel Hill, uh, North Carolina, and would love to get your thoughts. Here's a rough idea of what I would really love to hear from you. One, basically, in your opinion, is it crazy to open a game store right now given the changes going on in Watsi and the current economic environment? Two, what aspects of your game store do you like the most that I should, quote, utilize, and what things are missing that you would think makes more stores appealing? Do you think mixing video games and card playing is a good idea, bad idea, somewhere in between? My idea was to set up a few big screen HDs with Wise or Wii's and PS3's charge some hourly rates to play and also hold tournaments for games like Madden, Smash Brothers, Halo, etc. For general thoughts and advice. Thanks, Chris. Keep up the good work. You are a really valuable part of the community. Magic community. I also tend to like when you talk about your personal life. I think it's interesting and rare to have someone willing to help talk about these things. Sure, it's not exactly magic related, but it's real life and it's interesting. Along those lines, I hope you're going well for you, your job, and your daughter. Chris Arena. <clears throat> as far as uh, my daughter, she's doing good. She's currently living with her with, with my ex-wife, though. So I get to talk to her only on a limited basis, but overall, uh, she does pretty good, and I'm, I'm, I get to talk to her twice a week, and I'm happy with that right now. I uh, would like you if my ex-wife would quit asking me for money for things outside of the child support that I have to pay every month, but, you know, say what I like if that comes with the territory now, and probably partially because I didn't get a lawyer to get with to put some hard rules down on what she can and can't ask for, but oh well, I'll just have to live with that. Now, as far as a game store, basically, in your opinion, is it crazy to open a game store given the changes going on in Watsi? and the current economic environment. Let me just say, if you can afford to invest in starting a business in this kind of environment economically, and you feel you can be profitable in the long run, and no, I mean only the long run, because effectively when you open a game store, or not even a game store, but any basic business, 
you have to assume the first 12 months you're going to be making no profit. Every bit of the money you make will have to go back into the advertising, the preparation, the stock, and the <clears throat> preparation to get the game, uh, get a store up and running. You got to stock it with new product. You got to be able to advertise it to get your word out. You have to basically reinvest anything you make in profit back into the store to keep it going. So you have to be willing to effectively go a year without making a profit in order to have long run have a viable business. And you'll find that kind of advice from lots of different people who have actually owned stores of any kind, uh, particularly in the restaurant chains. If you if you you know ask around people with for advice of that sort of thing, uh, many years ago I had the uh, twice I've had the capacity or offer in, on the table for me owning a store, either taking over ownership of an existing one or starting as a co-owner for a brand new idea. Now both cases I decided to turn it down because quite frankly I can't see me dedicating myself to, to running a business, but it's things I have considered in the past. Maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. Right now, I'm just not motivated, able to do it for myself. However, things that we had considered, and I will go back to Enchanted Grounds as an example that was a big, is a big success originally. The original Enchanted Grounds and the new Enchanted Grounds up in Denver. <coughs> First off, you want diversity. You do not, we, we, you can't depend on your business model for owning this business, especially in a gaming store, based on the possible political views or, or business views of one in a given one company, especially those when you're going to sell products from that company, i.e., whether you agree or disagree with some of the direction the WOTC is going, WOTC is not going to be something that makes your business profitable. I tell you right now, I have seen some of the, of the books of, of a few magic stores in lower, area, uh, lower uh, population areas, and magic alone does not make a store profitable. It's a good way to keep people coming in, helps keep you helps you keep moving some product, but selling packs alone or selling singles alone is not going to make you be able to pay your bills. So there's just not enough profit in that particular environment with the world, everybody buying off eBay, everybody buying discounted boxes of cards off of uh, places like Star City Games. Unless you can put in that kind of mass internet production, or um, um, not production, but uh, exporting and shipping, you're not going to be able to compete with those kinds of prices. So, how do you compete with Magic? Well, you have to be able to offer tournaments that give people prizes, that get them to be willing to come pay your entry fees, and show up and spend time in your store. Now, the problem is, most tournaments are, oh, $5 a head in this area. If it's a draft, it's like 10 bucks, which means you're basically selling the packs at about uh, a couple bucks more than what you're, what you're charging for them, or what you're being charged for them. So you're only making like 2 bucks a person that shows up in a day, and considering that you're going to have to pay employees, you're going to have to pay electrical bills, that's not gonna, that alone is not going to cut it either. You have to be diversified. You want as many different avenues of income as you can successfully pull off. Now, for instance, now if you wanted to open a game store today, I would say you would absolutely need to have things like a computer network room where you can charge people time to come in and play on your network. You need to have, uh, let's take the old Enchanted Grounds as an example. In the old Enchanted Grounds and, and in Valhalla's up in Denver, they, have, they had a computer network, they had console games, they had some big screen TVs, and they charged time and rented those machines to people to come and play. Now, that was only one thing, and it wasn't like a huge profitable, profitable thing, but it was a source of income. It was a good distraction for the side for people to play it, for especially magic tournaments. Um, people who bust out early, you sometimes will go and spend time on the machines, <coughs> or they will do it in between rounds. 
using up um, some some of our minutes now. Like over in Alpine Gaming, which was here in town, um, they had to close down because they got robbed. Basically, lost all their machines and hardware. But they what they did is they had a log on for every machine that people just randomly go log on and would keep track of how long you were logged in for and deduct the account the the time automatically from your account. Now that allowed people in magic tournaments to go, all right, we got a bunch of people in this room, we got like 30 people over here playing. Yeah, people will get busted out. They'll go spend 15, 20 minutes on the machines and eat up some of their time if they have Suncor store credit. It also allowed you to have other people come in and get to know some of the magic players because they would be used to, oh, they have an internet cafe. Let's go spend time at the internet cafe and you set it up so that you have pretty good deals on Time per per price, whatever you want to call it. You spend like you know, uh, well Alpine used to charge like either six dollars for three hours, or three dollars for one hour, or they would have these lock-ins where, for like a flat ten bucks or something, you can play all day long from like midnight or from noon to midnight, or for like fifteen bucks a twenty-four hour cycle for the weekend. And those were very, very popular among some people. You get lots of, uh, actually, I've seen entire families actually come in, mom, dad, and kids come in there and, and hit the hit the all-day lock-ins. Because for, effectively for them, it's like, you know, four people, it's 60 bucks for effectively a 24 hours of all you, want, all you can gaming that, you know, they can do whatever. Plus, you want to provide internet, you know, they give them the ability to go surf the web, whatnot, because they can do anything. Is it? You know, make it a full-fledged internet cafe. Now, Alpine did a really good job of that. They also had on site a um, a uh, food bar, basically, that was shared between it and the and the bingo hall, which was owned by the same guy. Now, so their weekends, when they had all the people really there, they had the ability to sell drinks, sell um, fountain beverages for cheap. For the Magic tournaments, they would include the cost of, or a discounted cost for a fountain beverage that you could refill all night. For us, it was like it was like 50 cents, and you could have unlimited soda throughout the night while you played Magic, and while you were still in the tournament. And that was a hugely popular thing among the players, because you know I don't I don't know who many, too many people turned down fifty cents for an unlimited amount of of a fountain soda while you're playing, you know. <clears throat> now, Enchanted Grounds, the new store, that place is half gaming shop, where a typical setup where you have stock on the shelves like role playing games, miniatures, board games. Well, not really half. I'll say a third of that store is dedicated to that. A third of it is set up for things like bathrooms and tables for magic players. But half the third of the room is set up to be an actual um, coffee shop. Coffees and sandwiches. And they would have a lot of people come in. Oh, and they also offer, you know, Wi-Fi, local Wi-Fi. It's a Wi-Fi hotspot. For free, so people would come in there and they'd have you know all levels of different customers. They'd have business people show up. They would have uh, people who are like writers and 
and professionals that were just doing there to get away from the house so they can have some peace and quiet to do their do their articles or their writing or whatever on their laptop. They would have people show up for the gaming side. They would have a couple of tables where role players would show up because they would be drinking coffee all day and buying your, your other stuff on site and use it as a, as a mutual greeting place to get together and have like role playing games and whatnot. You would have uh, the magic crowd would go in there to have full access to, to the ability to get food on site. They would have soft drinks on site. Some people would drink coffee while they play magic. That's Albeit, you know, a different kind of crowd. But they were a full-fledged coffee shop and and gaming store, basically. And it was kind of an interesting mesh in styles. But you know what? That store is by far the most profitable of all the stores in Denver right now as far as players. They regularly get 30 to 50 people for their drafts on Wednesday nights and Friday nights. Yes, 30 to 40 people on a Wednesday night draft. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just just think about that for a second. <clears throat> the competing competing stores doing Friday night matches were getting like twenty people, and they're pulling in forty to fifty because of the popularity of the site and what they're offering. Now, go back to a business idea that me and Mike Patterson had about. Old tennis plus years ago, maybe twelve ish, is he wanted to open a gaming store. <clears throat> he was also um, he had a master's degree in, in electronics and computer programming and computer and uh, E E C E N C S, so computer like uh, computer engineering degree. He had a master's in all three. Well, he, this guy was retardedly, not retarded, this guy was off the scales brilliant. But one of the things he has a hobby was he liked to tinker with uh, arcade games, the old style arcade games, and had a collection of arcade games. Well, he one of the things he set up, or wanted to do in his store, was have a room dedicated to arcade, arcade machines at quarters of pop, you know? If you can afford the kind of space, that's not such a bad idea. Having a room where, as long as you have a, clo- uh, a closed door type room, so the noise stays in, it's not so bad to have like a, a miniature arcade thing going back there. Or well, same thing with video games on TVs. And or another idea we had talked about, besides a snack bar and everything, was we wanted to have a movie setup, i.e. Like a Tuesday night when you're not going to be able to get people to show up for a magic tournament because you can only feed magic so many times. You're not going to be able to get people to show up for, say, a Halo tournament multiple times a week. You know, so you're going to have to spread out multiple things. You'd have like a Tuesday night thing where you could say special old old school movie like Rocky Horror Picture Show or uh, like a Star Wars showing or. You know, something like that where you could get people to show up and you can get them to spend an evening doing something interesting like watching a novel movie or something, you know. And I think that is also a good idea that could have very well worked. And it was also really useful like on Magic Weekends on tournaments for Sunday, 
to have the NFL up on the big screen so you can get people who play Magic also have to be sort of sports fans to some extent. And you can keep people interested in by having the big game up on the game on the on the screen. And it gives people the, the also more interest is to having to choose between the two. They're more inclined to go to your choices because you have both options that you can that they can select at the same time. Now, it, some things I would not would not want to pursue is I would not get involved in comics. I would not get involved in comic books, and would not get involved in sports cards simply because. They're very. They have a very low margin of profit, and a lot of places, things like that, actually lose money. Now, in the gaming store side, you would have to also not just have magic. You'd have to be willing to have, maybe not even your own card game for that matter. You may have to have other card games involved too, like Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon. Yu-Gi-Oh locally has one of the stores we do have here in the Springs. They have a regular 30-person Yu-Gi-Oh tournament every Saturday. I don't know why, but apparently there's enough kids that like to play Yu-Gi-Oh that <clears throat> that is still such a popular game. And these are the people who eventually get brought in as the new people in the Magic over time. But um, <clears throat> you'd have to consider stocking what you need to do, be it singles, packs, and sleeves, and tournaments for other than just magic. <clears throat> but really, if you want to make a turn you want to make something appealing to for a store, you need a a lot of space, B, you need multiple sources of income, and I mean different styles, both you know, food, drinks, gaming, <clears throat> other types of entertainment, um, other types of electronics, maybe even selling of um, be it time on networks or be it time for oh that's another anyways you get the, you get the point to the point you have to have a diversity of what you're offering and a big diversity not try to pinhole one thing because as fun as magic is magic alone cannot run a game store profitably just doesn't happen, even though Watsi, some of the changes Watsi is doing is trying to encourage that to make it more possible, that's still not going to be good enough. Turn my phone off for a second. Um, I like the idea of the high definition screens with the Wii's and PS3's, however, Instead of just investing, quote, big screens, why not get projectors? Something we did it at, they did it at Alpine is, is they took a big wall because it was, you know, a huge, huge room with all the stuff. And they set up some couches, right, and some projectors, and they painted the walls white. So with the room, with the room somewhat dimmed, you know, the area of the room dimmed, on the projector they have the Wii set up, and they would effectively have like a hundred inch a wide you know however you want to scope it you know take a wide screen and you magnify it from like you know your regular thing up like you know ten times larger magnitudes larger and you would have like rock band guitar going or 
uh, Grand Theft Audio 4 up on basically the wall because they projected it straight to the wall in high definition. And that was actually pretty kick-ass, I have to say. You know, you're, you think of Rockstar Guitar, and the guy on the screen is as big as you physically are. That was pretty cool. <laughs> I watched a few people spend some hours doing that. Um, or uh, Dance Dance Revolution, for instance. If that's something you can provide... There's actually a lot of people out there who do tournaments for Dance Dance Revolution, and it's a popular thing that people will actually do for money, too. Uh, Madden is another very popular game played for money uh, on high ends. But you also have to make sure you advertise to colleges. You need to advertise to your the local schools. You need to make sure you get the word out through either radio advertisements or special deals like this weekend only you can get a 48 hour block for like 20 bucks or something on the network and let the foot traffic spread the word to all your other sources of income and business and if you could do all that stuff and have enough diverse different things and enough space to accommodate all all styles of players without uh, interfering with each other because, like, for instance, the card gamers don't want a lot of noise in their area, per se. The miniatures players always seem to frown down upon card players for some reason. Something's gone back for 20 years. <clears throat> You're going to need to have areas for people to drink, have conversations in a restaurant style. You're going to want to have people who just are there for the peace and quiet and be able to use their laptop. You want to have people show up to play role-playing games that were on some number of tables without having to interfere with anybody else. You want people to be able to walk around and browse product on walls, you know, store product in, the, in stock. So, and you, and if you, a good store should have a roughly enough space for about 50 people to be able to sit down and play cards. Uh, that's usually a good number because if you get popular, you're not going to be cramped for space. And if you don't quite fill it up, you can always make other use of that space um, temporarily, except for the nights for gaming because eventually you want to eventually be filling that space every night. <clears throat> now, I hope that offers a bunch of good advice, a bunch of good theories of things I've seen. Um. Now, like I said, it's not something that I have the kind of money or motivation to become an owner of, but I've seen some good examples of how it runs. I've seen some bad examples of how it runs. I've seen people try to make a store work solely on magic and fail miserably, and or they've tried to keep the store running with just magic by feeding eBay sales on the side, either for magic or, in the case of one person, I'll just we'll call her Cynthia, where she was selling old black and white photos on eBay with falsified descriptions as a, to places like museums that she would get from, say, antique shops around town and then dress them up a little bit and then add some kind of description to them that made sense or at least vaguely made sense and then try to turn profit that way in order to keep her store running because Magic Loan wasn't able to sell it, wasn't able to keep it running on its own. 
Um, anyways, um, I hope that's some good ideas for your Chris Arena. Uh, I'm sure if I sat down and thought about it, I'd come up with some more ideas, things I've seen over the years that worked out really well, that were popular among players. Uh, but trust me, you want at least 40 to 50 people space-wise, probably 50 people for Magic tournaments, card tournaments in general. And if you do become popular as a store, don't be afraid to get well, touched with your local regional tournament organizers about running premier events such as GPTs and PTQs in your general area and making it so your store is sponsoring those types of events. Because all that does is bring in more foot traffic, man. That's all that is. It brings in more people to your store, makes your store more popular among players, gets you more foot traffic, gets you more regulars to show up, play there. And ideally, it also could go a long way towards stabilizing you there for a long time to come. So, I hope uh, all that advice helps. And uh, it makes a lot of sense. If you got any more questions or any more what do I think about this particular aspect of running a, running a business or what do I think of this particular aspect of can it work in the theory of, or the context of a business um, be more than happy to help uh, and with that this is uh, July 21st that I'm recording this on and um, actually it's almost midnight now so I'll be putting it up there here a little bit too on the board so you'll actually have two podcast release from me back to back today and with that uh, this is Road Warrior Otwell signing off